0: Welcome to another episode of the Good Food Served Here podcast, a companion to goodfoodservedhere.wordpress.com. A culinary adventure blog by Walter Pagel, where Walter's passion for food, friendship, travel, and writing are shared with you after his long career as director of publications at MD Anderson. I'm Bill Toll, Walter's brother-in-law. And most of my life's work has been spent in kitchens, galleys on ships, and broadcasting or recording studios.
1: I have observed you in the kitchen over the years and wondered where the heck that talent and skill came from, and uh, and so I would like to interview, about, interview you about where it came from. And where it starts, I believe, is what your sisters describe as cree which you wanted every morning and which they hated. <laughs> I'm not sure what Cree is. It sounds awful. Uh, <laughs>
0: but evidently you
1: loved it. Yes?
0: Well, I, I loved it as an alternative to something that I kind of detested, to be quite honest with you, as a small child. And Cree Cree is baby talk. It's all I could muster to say instead of cream of wheat. <laughs> oh. Uh, no, so what yeah. did I do? Okay, well, well, how did
1: you get from there to the cook I know today,
0: the oh, amazing gosh, well, cook?
1: Well, and well, I, well, wanted, well, I wanted you to kind of go through your career, starting with when you first realized you liked cooking.
0: Ah, okay. Well, what a long, strange trip that's been that's for sure. Um, and, and Cree Cree is really kind of bland. It's just, uh, you know, wheat grits cooked, uh, with sugar and and maybe some butter because, you know, butter makes everything better. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, I'd eat that as, as a child, um, instead of three minute eggs, because for whatever reason, uh, my siblings and I have an aversion to eating eggs. At least we did as children. Uh, we kind of regarded them as as liquid chickens, um, <laughs> and and didn't really appreciate the uh, texture more than the flavor. But as my taste buds matured, I, I love eggs and prepare them many many different ways. But um, one of the ways that my cooking career got off the launch pad was hours that i spent at home as a child um, sick i took quite a few sick days when i was a kid whether it was for a, a strep throat really bad allergies or any bug that i pick up in school um, and i would uh, call in sick I would get my mom to uh, write a note and let me stay home and uh, my big sister's TV set and tune in to my favorite show when I was a child it was Graham Kerr's galloping gourmet Wow
1: Wow we cooked out of that cookbook must have been at the same age you were looking at it go
0: ahead Probably. So, yeah. As, as a, an elementary school kid, I would watch uh, The Galloping Gourmet religiously because I really enjoyed watching him uh, preparing meals and then running up into the audience and just grabbing a random audience member that was probably carefully pre-selected before the uh, show started and uh, bring them down to the table to uh, enjoy the meal with the chef, Graham Kerr, uh, on his Galloping Gourmet program. As I was a kid, though, I called it the Giddy Up Gourmet. Uh, <laughs> and good. Okay. Uh, Graham was fun to watch because he would add a little wine and a little bit more wine to whatever concoction he was creating and he'd add a little wine and a little bit more wine to the glass that he was imbibing from throughout the program and he would become more entertaining as the program went along especially in ratio to the amount of wine consumed (laughs) and so sometimes by the end of the show he was very entertaining (laughs) and sometimes quite over the top but uh i'd learn cooking procedures from him by watching his program and this was a show in the black and white days of tv and it did progress to color as i progressed to uh, middle school but uh it was it was fun to watch his show and i learned a lot from it uh and i also learned uh by doing in the kitchen um one afternoon i was dropped off by uh the neighbor lady who uh, wanted to sit in her car in front of our house and and get caught up on the uh, gossip with my mom. And this was a particular evening that my mom was going to make a cherry pie. And uh, I really loved cherry pie when I was a kid. And I especially loved the crust that my mother would make that would encase the the fruit. And uh, all the leftover crust she would take and trim and dust with sugar and cinnamon and bake along with the pie oh yeah and uh, i would would love eating that pie crust with just cinnamon sugar on it and and that was so tasty to be but my mom i was getting very impatient as as children you know can be and uh she's out there gossiping with the neighbor woman in front of the house and um I'm in there looking at some of the uh, ingredients to to make the pie on the uh, kitchen counter and decided that I would just dig in. I'd seen her do that enough and had also uh, watched a few episodes of The Galloping Gourmet. Uh, So as an elementary school kid, um, I had no fear about just digging into the kitchen and and starting to uh, combine the ingredients and uh, making my own pie crust while she was out there. (laughs) And it was probably less than perfect. The dough was a bit tough, but um, it was my first uh, endeavor at at making a pie Um, (laughs) while she was outside jaw jacking, uh, I, I uh, got right right to work making a pie, and she was well, really I... really surprised that I did that when she came back and, and saw it. <laughs> so you
1: should know that when Fran moved to Houston, your mother sent your Kathy, your sister, to yeah. Houston to, to live with her, and her one assignment was to teach Fran how to make cherry pie. So you, I think that's a good tie-up of the story.
0: Yeah, I think anyway. you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it, I guess it kind of runs in the family there. I, I think it does. Yeah. Um, but I did. I, I learned an appreciation for the process of constructing meals at a very early, early age and uh from there you know i was sent away for a summer in high school my performance in school was not as it should have been and i was um spending more time at the river levee or up in the canyon hanging with friends than i was in any classroom you know sometimes you got to skip a little school to to get an education and uh based on that I, i tried to get a lot of education that way and and just wasn't going to school so um I was sent to live with my sister Kathy that summer spent away I got my first semi-professional cooking gig at a uh, a dairy queen there in Houston, Texas, at the corner of West Belt and Westheimer, uh, Mm. learning how to uh, fry it till it floats. You know, that's that's the way to be a fry cook, (laughs) is whatever's frozen that you throw into the fryer, uh, as soon as it floats, uh, it's done. So it's (laughs) ready to serve. (laughs) And I did that for just a few weeks, but then a uh, a plum gig at Westside Tennis Club in Houston opened up as a, a very famous watcher. place in this town, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It is. Oh, it, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Rod Laver would, uh, who was a big time tennis pro at the back in those days, uh, would come out to uh, Westside Tennis Club and and uh, play a few rounds with whoever and and uh there was an uh pro there at the club named adrian bay who was from rhodesia and uh i I forget the woman pro uh who was also from south africa who um was also quite good but i had an opportunity to meet these people and um begin to learn to cook for them. <laughs> and wow. um, it, it was kind of fun because um, I got hired on as a dishwasher at, at Westside Tennis Club and I took every single shift I could get. I worked double shifts most days. I would uh, work the, uh, the morning shift. And, and then come back and, and work the evening shift too. And there was a chef there, her name was Betty Wilson. And she would let me experiment and she would show me how to do things in the kitchen. And first off, she said, well, why don't you, you know, you're not that busy as a dishwasher sometimes. You make all the milkshake orders that come in. And so I'd make milkshakes, and pretty soon I'd turn the milkshakes into energy drinks. I would add a a rock. Somebody would want that to, you know, serve as a meal <laughs> and uh, add uh, coffee beans and grind them up in the, uh, the vanilla ice cream with with an egg or whatever, and maybe a pinch of cinnamon and a little bit of this and that, and experiment and figure out what tasted good. And, and people would request my uh, energy shakes. And, I want to uh,
1: know, I want to know before you go any further, if sure. you put any debatable debatably legal things illegal things in in these
0: shakes oh um well debatably legal like cannabis or of course you know there's a very famous uh beverage in india which they serve during the uh holly season which is a big festival of uh, the triumph of good over evil in india and uh, it's it's a drink called a bang lassi and bong comes from uh, you know the the word for cannabis, and and what a bong lassi! Maybe you had a mango lassi if, <laughs> in an Indian restaurant, possibly. Which is, I don't know. You know, mangoes blended with um, with yogurt. well a bong lassi? Bong lassis have bong in it, which is cannabis. <laughs> and uh, but no, I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm disappointed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those were freewheeling times back in the 70s but um, I did want to perform well and do a super good job for these people so I could continue to to make enough money to uh, buy a bass guitar and amplifier <laughs> so you know that was my goal to work as much overtime as possible at the tennis club and to learn as much uh, which really helped kind of establish my culinary career uh, way beyond just watching the Giddy Up Gourmet, watching Graham Kerr on the Galloping Gourmet. Instead, it was more about doing in the kitchen and actually uh, having someone like a wonderful chef like Betty Wilson giving me the leeway to uh, and the guidance to experiment a little bit and to learn as I went before enlisting in the Navy and the United States Navy Culinary Program, which I did uh, several months after this and and, uh, uh, ended up cooking on ships.
1: Well, that was pretty quick dismissal of a very important time in your life. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's go into a little more detail there. Um, you ran away from home or something like that and signed up for the Navy?
0: I didn't run away from home and join the circus. Instead, I convinced my mom and dad um, to sign me into the Navy uh, as I was underage. And you could do that back in those days uh, when you were 17 years old. And part of that was it was... uh, Due to being immediately after the Vietnam War, and it was an all-volunteer service. They had done away with the draft, um, and so they didn't have enough people volunteering for service in the military, joining up. So they had to kind of lower the bar, (laughs) as it were. And um, they were encouraging people to sign up under what they call the Delayed Entry Reservist Program, which um, gave a, a portal through which my, my mom and dad could uh, sign the papers, giving permission for me to go ahead and join as a 17-year-old. They asked me what I wanted to do. What job, what MOS, they call it, uh, did I want to get trained in? And I went through the uh, U.S. Navy Culinary Program. Which they, just was, said,
1: they said, okay, come on over here, Bill. That's fine. They didn't ask you, they didn't care what you knew already. Is that right? Um,
0: actually, uh, you know, I had told the recruiter Uh, about my passion for cooking okay and uh, also uh, I had uh, told him that I had kind of established somewhat of a foundation in this career uh, through you know my experience at the tennis club and so forth and uh, I took the aptitude tests and the aptitude tests indicated that I could probably do any job I wanted to provided that I had the security clearance for it and uh, I thought that was good yeah and of, of course uh, part of the other deal was um, that I had to agree to complete my high school education while I was in the service and uh, I, I did I, I uh, got my ged while i was in but um i went through the uh the culinary school which at the time the navy had their own culinary program uh currently uh, if you're in in uh listening in the navy uh and want to be a cook you'd go to the culinary institute of america which is another fine school um, But the uh, culinary program that the United States Navy had at the time, I'd say, was definitely equal to that. Um, It teaches you so much. And, uh, you know, you'd have weeks where each week uh, would be divided into a a different um, aspect of honing your culinary skills. You know, you'd go through soup, sauces, and gravies week. It's a lot like watching the great British baking show. You know, this week is pastry week. This week is cake week, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, it was a good program and I really uh-huh. learned a lot and I really want to give props to the many chefs at the time who had joined the Navy from the Philippines. Uh, to get their citizenship uh, in the United States by uh, enlisting in the military and there were some very, very fine Filipino cooks that I learned from in particular that uh, were just such a blessing to uh, work with and learn from. Yeah. But
1: eventually we know that you ended up as the chef, the captain on the on the canistillo. Is that correct?
0: Yes, yes. How did, you, how did you
1: get that job? How did you get the job of being? the captain's chef, that can't be easy.
0: Uh, I started off cooking for the crew and um, I was one of the few cooks on the Canisteo who had actually been through the culinary program. Uh, Some of the other cooks were what they call strikers. And these were people who had enlisted uh, in the Navy to take whatever job was available, which usually meant that they would be bosun's mates or what they call deck apes. That's the derisive sort of nickname (laughs) for them, Uh, which is a lot of hard work. You know, people that chip paint and and repaint, and when the painting is done, they have to chip what they did and repaint again, all that, because you're always painting on something that rusts out on the water like that. And uh, the people that showed an aptitude uh for for cooking were um put into a a program where they could what they call strike for the job they could in essence audition for it they could start off by washing dishes and go in the galley and and learn cooking techniques on the job it was essentially on the job training and um, so a lot of my uh, cohorts were uh, strikers and not culinary school graduates and it kind of gave me a little bit of an advantage Uh, plus i mean i really loved food and i really wanted the gratification of serving food that people appreciated and uh, so i really tried hard to do a good job and be the best uh, cook that i could be under those circumstances you know what this
1: strikes me is what you just told me strikes me is you are a performer and you wanted the audience to clap and yell and welcome you to the stage in a sense.
0: In a sense, that's
1: very, very
0: true. That is uh, totally part of my personality and it's part of what inspires me to uh, perform, as it were, yeah. um, to do a good job. Um, I'm all about that and I always have been, and I don't know why. Maybe it's being the baby of the family, I don't know. <laughs> maybe
1: so, you had all those girls to give you the applause? Maybe that's yeah, it.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's being the only boy, and, yeah. and uh, family of sisters, I don't know what it was. But uh, yeah, that was very much me. And um, so uh, they, they promoted me from cooking for the crew. To cook for the officers' mess, the wardroom mess on the ship was cooking for about uh, 30 officers that uh, would dine every night on China with with, uh, cloth napkins and and polished silverware in a wardroom family-style eating environment. Uh, as opposed to the chow line cafeteria-style ladle of food being thrown on a metal tray. And so, you know, cooking for the wardroom mess, I would be in charge of the menu. I would decide what was going to be served at every meal. Uh, And it was a great job because I would cook three meals a day. I'd get up in the morning before the crack of dawn, And uh, prepare breakfast eggs to order whatever the guys wanted then I'd cook lunch and I'd have to cook dinner and uh, I would wrap things up uh, at about 7 at night you know after cleaning the galley and all of that Uh, so it was a very long day uh, working from about 5 a.m. till 7 in the evening but you only worked every other day when you were out at sea and when you were in a port of call, you would work three days on and get two days off, and then work two days on and get three days off. Wow. So you'd have extraordinarily long work days, but lots and lots of ample time off to see the sights and the scenery of a foreign port, all those things that you could do, and you're your off time. And, uh, you know, it was uh, a very good schedule in that regard. And that was one of the other attractive aspects of being a cook on a ship. Uh, but I cook for the wardroom mess uh, for quite some time. There was a guy upstairs, uh, a Filipino gentleman named Nick who cooked for the captain only. He was the captain's cook. And uh, he would always come downstairs and, and borrow ingredients from me and we'd talk a little bit about what he was doing for so forth Um, but he got reassigned to where he would be in charge of other personnel because he had attained a a rank that you know put him in that position and uh, that left them scrambling trying to decide who would be the cook best suited for preparing whatever the captain wanted and uh, cooking for the captain uh, mostly entailed cooking only for the captain when you're out at sea but we'd come into port and I'd have to cook for the American consulate or the the consul general would uh, pay a visit to whatever ship was visiting uh, or you know local dignitaries and these various emissaries would come aboard and I would have to prepare meals for them as well. So that was a pretty good challenge. Stop um, a minute.
1: Stop a sure. minute. Because I'm curious about something. Okay. So you are how old at this point? 19? Uh, yeah, I was about 19 by then. And so or
0: Maybe I'm, 20.
1: So I don't hear any sign that you were nervous about cooking for the captain, cooking for the consul. Cooking for dignitaries, I. But you seem totally unfazed by this
0: hierarchy. <laughs> it was, yes, it was. It was very scary to, to cook for okay. the captain. But we had, at the time, um, a very reasonable captain. This guy was so cool, and let me tell you, <laughs> he um, he wanted the same thing for breakfast just about every day. Uh, I would simply do uh, soup and a sandwich for lunch. He had an affinity for uh, the classic grilled cheese and tomato, uh-huh. uh, tomato soup um, for, for lunch. And he wanted that a whole lot. Uh, had a simple menu and, and simple taste for the most part. I would prepare things like uh, you know chicken cordon bleu or you know chicken Kiev you know things like that um, for fancy meals but while we were out at sea to boost the morale of the uh, sailors he would often go down and eat dinner in the cruise galley um, and uh, I wouldn't have to prepare the evening meal for a lot of the times. So maybe maybe he was eating in the cruise galley to get away from me. I don't know. I but, think not, uh... but go ahead. <laughs> I
1: think anyway. you
0: might have been fired if that was the case. No, let but me tell you how I got fired though. Because is that... <clears throat> this is uh this is an important part of the story. He uh, he was transferred to a different duty assignment. And we got a new captain and this new captain wanted things that were difficult to procure in faraway places. He had to have um, Canadian bacon, which was not available through the normal channels of procurement for food items on the list of ingredients that we could order. So there I am in Athens, Greece, trying to find Canadian bacon, which was pretty difficult to do back in 1979 or whenever it was. And um, so now I got fired from this job. (laughs) And um, it lives in legend with those that I worked with on the Canisteo. He had left his shoes on the uh, drainboard in the captain's galley. And uh, I went in there to go to work and prepare his meals and so forth. And there these shoes sitting there. And uh, by the end of the day, his shoes were still sitting there. And uh, he, he came by and stuck his hands in his pockets and said, hey, you haven't shined my shoes yet. And I said, I haven't shined my own shoes yet. Oh, whoa and so the next day i was assigned to what they call mid-rats which is midnight rations cooking for the midnight watchman uh on the all-night shift um, and preparing all of the uh, you know chopping the vegetables and doing all the prep for the daytime cooks oh man yeah I just yeah but, but let me, let me also say that every cook that serves on, on the ship or back in those days, uh, part of, uh, your initiation was that you'd have to do mid rats for two months. It was part of the deal. Yeah. And I had not done my two months of mid rat service yet, and they had figured that out. and. Uh, it was determined that now is the time. If you're gonna give lip to the captain, you're, you're gonna have to serve uh, midrats. And so I'd work uh, the night shift with the ship's baker And the ship's baker would bake bread all night, make cinnamon rolls, do the cookies, all the sheet cakes, frost them and, uh, you know, ice the cupcakes and everything else, uh, for the whole crew. And I'd work with him and do the prep and all that and learned new aspects of cooking, primarily the baking trade, um, working in the bake shop and helping him, uh, for two months. And then they put me back in the wardroom, cooking for the officer's mess. Okay. And that was the environment that I appreciated and loved the most. And uh, cooking for about you know, 30 officers. It was like running your own restaurant. And for a kid my age, that was an awesome job to have, and it was what I truly enjoyed. Um, I did not really want to be a cabin boy for a captain.
1: I can imagine.
0: You're barely a cabin
1: boy for yourself, right? Yeah, there you go.
0: (laughs) You get cabin fever doing that. (laughs) Um, Well, I
1: I, I think we're ready unless you have another... Do you have another story to tell about your time in the Navy?
0: No, you know that's that's really about it in terms of my tenure on the the Canisteo. I was very fortunate to wind down my Navy career uh, when the ship was uh, brought into the Brooklyn Navy Yard um, for repairs, uh, as my discharge was looming on the horizon. And uh, at that time, I cooked for uh, the officers' wardroom in a place called uh, admiral's row on uh flushing avenue in brooklyn new york um there's now a supermarket where those stately old mansions uh were back when when i was there but uh it was a, a very interesting time and i really appreciated doing it and uh, learned a lot it was a lot of fun well you know <laughs>
1: So I, I, I want to move to the next part of your life, which, but I, I, um, I know that you did not end up being a chef and I'm going to make something up here and you can correct me or just say you weren't interested. doesn't matter. But I have talked to other people who uh, had a life that might have led them to be chefs or knew about being chefs because they're very good cooks. And they universally say it's one of the hardest jobs there are and that you you retired by the time you're 45 because your back gives out and so on. And I wonder why you didn't choose the life of a chef.
0: Well, the other drive and passion in my life and and uh, for me to perform uh, at my best, I have to be doing something I truly feel strongly about doing. Um, it was radio. And... Um, you know as a kid under the covers in the middle of the night listening to the radio station and figuring out formats and all that stuff figuring out why they played certain songs more often than others uh the formatics and everything like that and i just i wanted to pursue that and on my exit interview with the captain of the canasteo who had fired me from uh, being the captain's cook um he said uh well How are you going to survive if you don't reenlist? What is it as a civilian that you could possibly do that will equal uh, a career in the Navy? Because he's trying to get me to sign the papers to reenlist. And I said, I wanted to pursue a a career in radio. He says, that's never going to happen. You're (laughs) never going to make it. Like and that knew. right there pretty much galvanized my resolve to yes. pursue radio and make a forty uh, odd year career out of doing radio and being a, a senior vice president with iHeart Radio.
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, you have a sister who had somewhat similar experience and was told that she would never make it in science; that she needed to be taking helmet classes and turned into a life of uh, basic science research in genetics.
0: Yeah. My, my wife. So <laughs> I guess the tolls
1: take a challenge and go with it.
0: Not just a challenge, we're obstinate yeah. in uh, our, our defiance and pursuit of our pleasures and passions yeah. to a degree that uh, gets us where we want to be. <laughs> you know? So, but I do
1: I didn't meet you until after all of this, really. I mean, I met yeah, you, Yeah, I think you and
0: Fran were living in Chicago for a lot of this period. So. Right. So,
1: but, but what I know is that you are extremely comfortable in your kitchen. You're extremely comfortable with any recipe. You don't even have recipes. You're extremely com- comfortable with just seeing, well, I've got this. I bet I have some of this, and how about some of this, some of that, and I can turn it into this. And it just, it stuns me. I realize that must be your training, but what a wonderful experience for your family to see that kind of action every day. I get to see it once in a while when we're in El Paso. And I I especially want to recall a time when we were walking by your bookcase, And you reached, I think it was a bookcase, or it might have been your cookbook file. I don't know if you have one. And you pulled out this little red book. It was like the Bible, the way you handled it so reverently. And you (laughs) carefully opened it up and showed me, basically, that this book has all the secrets you need to know in order to be a great chef. I looked at it, and it looked like incantations to me. But (laughs) you... Use it as your Bible in a way, but your cooking Bible. Tell me some more about this book.
0: Well, uh, I was given that book uh, by my my grandfather, uh, who cooked uh, for the military in the Army uh, during World War One and World War Two. Long, long time ago. I was born at a very late age in in my parents' uh, lives, but. Um, My grandfather had given me that book when he heard that I was going to cook in the Navy and he said, here, this will come in handy. And this book is called A Selection of Dishes, A Chef's Reminder. And uh, it's a little bitty book that distills the essence of the whole Escoffier cookbook from the famed chef, Auguste Escoffier, who, of course, uh, worked with uh, Ritz, launching that hotel restaurant uh, combination that changed the landscape of the culinary world. You know, that's that's what uh, Ritz and Escoffier did. Um, But um, it takes all of that stuff that you get out of all the recipes, all the, the nuanced suggestions on obscure sauces and various things like that, and distills them into cliff notes, essentially. And uh, it's, it's a small version of that that was designed specifically uh, for the American hotel industry. Uh, back when the American hotel industry really served some good food it prompts you and reminds you and gives you enough of a blueprint to create good things and I love that little cookbook if you can find it once again it is a selection of dishes a chef's reminder and it is a wonderful book uh, but you have to know how to cook before you can really rely on it as uh, a road net roadmap. Um, So if you know the basics, if, if you know your soup, sauces, and gravies, and uh, (laughs) you know, the, the, the four principal sauces and all of that stuff from this book, you can build whatever you, you you can build the nuclear bomb.
1: Cool. Did you use it when you were in the Navy? I did. So I'm thinking as you're talking about the book, salt fat acid heat yes i mean knows claims although i can't affirm that but you probably can that if you know these four principles you can
0: adjust anything and make it's true it's true i you know i gotta tell you I've, i've been cooking for how many years now um you know and and salt fat acid heat is so wonderful i have learned new things in the last 10 minutes from that book wow um, and and from her techniques um, and it has enhanced since i've had since i got that book for christmas a few months back uh, it has leveled up my game it has improved my approach. Wow. It has altered my the essence of my kitchen philosophy in, in very unique ways that have yielded uh, a better product for my family.
1: Well, maybe we should, unless you have some other revelation to make. My revelation is only that I love your food. I love to see you put together things at the last minute. I watched you make a German beef dish one time. Just abracadabra out of stuff i mean you had to have the beef in the first place but other than that you didn't even have to think about it you just made it and i (laughs) i have trouble imagining that but it was a pleasure to watch it happen
0: well well thanks i really appreciate you getting me to this point and giving me the time to tell my story walter thank you very much You are very welcome. Well, enough about me. For more of Walter's wonderful words about wine, food, friendship, and travel, be sure to head over to goodfoodservedhere.wordpress.com. That's goodfoodservedhere.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening.